Hello and welcome to No Direction's official PaizoCon 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. Our coverage would not be possible without the help of our con staff, Paizo, and our patrons. Find more seminar recordings at nodirectionpodcast.com. This is the Pathfinder Society Q&A. Some of you were at the Starfinder Society yesterday. Tomorrow is the Pathfinder Adventure Card Game to include Pathfinder Adventure Card Society Q&A in the morning. So if you want to know more about that, do you want to grab on our door? Thank you. Just so we don't have to compete with the... two more Newtonians coming. Oh, that's fine. Just one door? Yeah, just one. We get a little bit of... A little less sound and... Um, so we'll start with introductions. For those of you that don't know me, I am now Paizo Mom. Uh, I am Tanya Wildred. I'm the organized play manager. Hi. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Linda Zeiss Palmer. I am developer for Pathfinder Adventure Card Society and Pathfinder Society. Hi. Hi. I'm Michael Sayre. I am also developer for Pathfinder Society primarily, although John has let me, well, John and Thirsty let me do a little bit of Starfinder Society recently. Got to do a creepy adventure. I did. It was great. <laughs> um, and I'm John Compton, and I'm organized play lead developer, so I handle Pathfinder Society, Starfinder Society, and until recently, uh, Pathfinder Adventure Card Society. Now Linda gets ahead of all of that. Yay! Um, <laughs> it's fun. So, and Thirsty is not here, he is part of our team, but as Starfinder Society developer, uh, he was on the panel yesterday, and we excused him to, to do his Thirsty kind of things tonight. <laughs> he will be at the banquet. How am I supposed to do Vegemite if it doesn't come to it doesn't come to the seminar? Uh, Leave me a memo. I'm happy to read it dramatically to him. Okay. <laughs> so one of the things we we are a couple of hours before the banquet, and we have a few pieces in here that might slightly spoiler what is in that presentation. So, so, I don't post to Facebook so what we would ask yes. is for those ones, please do not post to Facebook yet. Revel in the fact that you know it a couple of hours early. You can look at everyone else, cackle maniacally, and then, you know, after the banquet tonight, feel free to post things out on social media and let people know what's going on. But um, we are going to do that. So, where do we want to start? Um, let's see. Well, for, first things first, this will be, this is labeled as a Q&A, right? This is it is labeled as a Q&A, yes. Okay, well that's great. So, uh, there are wonderful things that we are looking forward to sharing with you, but understand that we will be taking questions over the course of this. Um, mm-hmm. Tanya, are you in charge of pointing to people, or is that something I else? will be in charge of pointing to people! Yay! Yeah. Pointing to people! Oh no, not the dreaded mom point. Alright, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sounds like Mike is responsible for pointing to people. <laughs> Okay, Mike. You can do it, Mike. You can do it. No, Mike will do it. We'll delegate. So, just wanted to get that out of the way before we get into general pieces. Mm -hmm. Um, As a bit of an overview, we're probably going to be talking about some of the recent uh, preview blogs that have been coming out, as well as some of our upcoming season for Pathfinder Society's inaugural second edition uh, year. And... uh, what other things do you have on there, Linda? Um, well, the summarizing the blog's high points sounds like a good place to start. Um, for example, we have uh, we have the topic of talking about uh, minor and major factions mm-hmm. and what we're doing with those. Yeah, so um, you're going to find that a common theme that have come up that's come up in both the blogs as well as will come up here is that uh, we've learned a lot from both the nearly 11 years of Pathfinder Society, but also even our two years of Starfinder Society. Uh, both of which have provided us a lot of opportunity to test out new ideas, see which ones work, and in the case of Starfinder Society, see a lot of them that work and that we yep. that we would want to uh, bring on board as we launch a new campaign. Um, 
And the approach to factions is one of them. First off, in broad strokes, you'll be able to represent multiple factions. Um, you're largely doing so one at a time. Um, but Starfinder Society last year introduced a special like GM incentive uh, minor faction called the Manifold Host. It basically worked the same way as a lot of the major factions did, uh, of the five major factions for Starfinder Society, but it had fewer reputation tiers. It had a couple of special uh, rewards that were only accessible to that minor faction, and it allowed you to represent a faction whose theme might better represent your character. But this Manifold Host faction, we've never done a scenario that has the Manifold Host faction tag on it. We're not really obliged to continue telling stories for it, but it can be a really cool niche way of representing what your character's about. Um, and that's kind of how we're approaching second edition Pathfinder Society as well. We're going to have six factions at launch. Four of those are major factions for which there will be uh, regular story content within some of the scenarios, uh, much as you've probably seen in Starfinder Society where a couple times a season you'll see like, oh, here is the, uh, the Inquisitives tag in Starfinder Society because it's really important to that faction. Um, whereas we have two minor factions that we're also uh, launching from the very beginning that are accessible to everybody. They're not tied to a GM boon or anything like that, which don't necessarily have ongoing story content, but really scratch an itch that we know people care about. Um, so, yeah. Are there going to be any holdovers, or are they all six brand new factions? Uh, so one of the things that... Uh, when we were going through our meetings and factions, uh, a point that Tanya in particular brought up mm -hmm. was that even though there are a couple of factions that really have ongoing stories or have um, a really close place in our hearts as faction leaders, that if we started saying a couple of them carried over but others didn't, in big ways we were kind of choosing winners and losers. Uh, even though some of the factions have really wrapped up their stories, like Sovereign Court has had a big story component. Uh, Liberty's Edge has accomplished a big thing. Mm -hmm they could kind of step back and have had their wonderful swan song, but um, we ended up going for a clean, a clean reset of the factions. Um, you're going to find the factions are, it's particularly the major factions, are within the society. Um, they're not external, trying to pull the society in a particular direction. They're saying, hey, you like this particular component of being a Pathfinder? We do too. In fact, we want to make that as cool uh, an experience for you as possible. So two of the ones that we have already announced in a blog about a week and a half ago, uh, a major faction was Horizon Hunters, which is very much about getting out there, exploring, seeing what's over the next hill, and then coming back and bragging the hell about it. Possibly to the point where you can get published in the Pathfinder Chronicles, which which point you're basically saying, I'm on the box cover of the, uh, the Wheaties brand Pathfinder cereal, um, and uh, feel very proud of the whole thing. Uh, that's a major faction. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's led by Calistro Benery, who is one of our former venture captains who uh, piloted a, uh, the Mariner's Lodge, the Grinning Pixie. Mm -hmm. But we also, have, we also announced the Radiant Oath, which is a minor faction. Radiant Oath takes some of the ideas of Silver Crusade, but instead of being like, and then we're going to stab all the demons in the throat, or <laughs> instead of Season 5 being like, Season 5 was like, Dear Exchange or Kadir, what would you like to do? I'd like to build a shop. Okay, that's very nice. What would you like to do, Silver Crusade? We're going to end the abyss. Um, like, <laughs> Silver Crusade has some ideas. Um, Radiant Oath is a little bit less militant in that regard, but is still about using your capacity to travel, using your exposure to the world at large to do good. Uh, it is led by Valais Durant, who is uh, one of our 
not venture captains, no matter what she insisted early on in her, uh, in her <laughs> NPC life cycle, um, who has now canonically come back as an ASMR uh, and is leading the rating zone. Those are two that we have talked about already. Uh, we're also going to talk about two. Uh, at this point, I guess I'm talking about two of them You're because I'm on a roll. Mm-hmm. Um, Keep it going. You can do it. We haven't gotten to Michael's favorite faction yet, so <laughs> maybe he'll give you a room for money when we get to that one. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're introducing two more uh, that will be uh, formally published in the uh, Wednesday blog this coming week. Um, so we are announcing another major faction, another minor faction. The major faction is the Envoys Alliance. The Envoys Alliance is about saying is about recognizing that the Pathfinder Society, especially through organized play, spent the last ten years doing increasingly dramatic things that were increasingly dangerous. The Pathfinder Society originally was, "Hey, look, I heard there are ruins in Osirian. Let's go check them out. That's cool. Um, something bad happens. We lose like three Pathfinders, and one comes back horribly scarred and becomes an archvillain. Whatever." Um, but. But by like season four, we were like, you know what? Pathfinder Society is just going to kick the hell out of all the rune lords. We'll start with one. Um, or it's like, we're going to end the world wound. Oh, sir, I don't think our explorers are really quick. Nonsense. High adventure. We lost like 30% of our Pathfinders that way. But um, it's a recognition that over these 10 years, the attrition to the number of agents has been really considerable. And so... Uh, the Envoys Alliance is, first off, trying to build up the society in a big way and recruit agents again, uh, get us back to our original strength, but also provide the ongoing support that field agents need, rather than being like, I heard there are ruins in Osirian. Go have fun. Um, what kind of dangers can we expect in Osirian? I heard that there are humans living in Osirian. They might help, they might not. I recommend using diplomacy checks. <laughs> I mean, come, come on, Linda. We gave you knowledge local for... Wait, you didn't take knowledge local? Well, that's all you. <laughs> yes, I know I'm the venture captain who lives here, but I can't be troubled to tell you about your neighbors. Uh, so, so uh, on those lines, is trying to provide ongoing support, but also even emergency support. Um... You might be familiar with how in Season 3 and Season 4 there was the Shadow Lodge, which was very much about holding the feet, the December's feet to the fire and saying, no, 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 you brought these agents into this industry, you're going to support them. Um, The faction leader for this, Fola Barun, who is an Ekujay half-elf from the Wangi Expanse, who showed up in a couple of scenarios, uh, got field commissioned after basically showing that she was able to help shut down the Aspis Consortium in uh, part of the Vanji River came to uh, Absalom and Gra- the Grand Lodge and said, well, I think I might be able to help out. And Oh, my gosh, is this your system or your process for like onboarding people? Is, is there no training program? Um, and is, is really trying to provide a bunch of that um, ongoing support, but even the emergency search and rescue sort of operations that the society has long needed and sometimes underfunded. Uh, so that's a major faction. And then we also have the minor faction uh, that I think particular contingent will find particularly exciting because uh, past 10 years or so we've had a bunch of people being like I would like to have a faction about this thing I'd have, like to have a faction about this thing um, and we've always looked at it and said how can we continue to provide engaging ongoing stories for some of these like uh, there was a proposal for a faction of people who go out and punch monsters okay well that's kind of what we do already um, and, 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 I, and I don't know that I want to do ongoing stories of like by golly there's another big monster over there. We could go punch it. Like, that's not that's not a faction for us. Um, mm-hmm. 
But people kept on wanting to have a nature faction. And we tried to address that a little bit because with the Concord, uh, not the Concordance Revivals, the uh, Concordance Velvets. Oh, yes. Um, in so much as, like, when we're like, we, we, okay, we can introduce a nature faction. Lynn's like, we can introduce a nature faction. like, blah, 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 say, so I, <laughs> I don't want a nature faction that is, by golly, there are trees. Let's run circles around them and be happy. <laughs> because that's, again, something where it's hard to do stories because a nature faction can feel very reactive. Where, what, what do you want to do? Oh, we'll sit here and say everything's nice until that forest is burning down and now we have to respond to it. It's rarely go out and do the thing. It's stop that bad thing. Um, and that makes it kind of difficult to do stories. Um, but then, uh, so we created Concordance of Elements, which brought in, like, planar uh, ecology as well, which is a phrase I never thought I'd have to say out loud in the panel. Um, and, uh, and that mostly worked, but it still didn't scratch the itch of the people who wanted to run circles around a tree and <laughs> say, nature is lovely. Um, we are now introducing a minor faction called the Verdant Wheel, which is basically a nature faction. Uh, the Verdant Wheel, running circles around trees. Yeah, a lot of cycles here. Yep. But the Verdant Wheel really uh, brings in the notion of a cycle of creation and destruction in so much as, you know, sometimes that forest has to burn down for there to be new growth. Or sometimes we need to destroy that... Well, I mean, hopefully it doesn't come down to destroying that city in order to build a forest. But I think one of the really important things about this faction is that um, the leader, who I'll get to in just a sec is very much of the opinion that you as the individual, the one on the ground, should really be making a value judgment based on the circumstances. Sometimes you just need to look over at that burning prairie and say, no, no, that, that is in fact nature as intended. Um, uh, and sometimes you have to make the judgment call of, no, no, we're going to stop these loggers. But um, there's, no, there's no element of this faction that says... The moment that somebody like steps on a blade of grass, you must run them down. None of that, okay? Um, because we don't want to like start the same paladin arguments for druids. Uh, I mean, call, call me old-fashioned, but I'd prefer to reduce the number of arguments on our message boards. Your shield is made of wood. How dare you, John? I know. The tree I, I, gave its life for that. Linda's entertainment requires message boards. Uh, so, so, um. And uh, for almost all of our factions, we have been taking existing NPCs and turning them into these new faction leaders, kind of promoting them. In the case of Verdant Wheel, this is the one where we are inventing somebody entirely new. Uh, in short, this is a lizard folk. Um, this is a lizard folk from we don't actually know. Uh, it's not just a matter of we don't know. It's like nobody seems nobody to knows. Know. <laughs> uh, basically, at some point, Creighton Shane walked into his office and found that there was a lizard folk standing there with a couple of <laughs> Pathfinder Chronicles. Uh, that were heavily red, uh, red blind. Craig and Shane was like, this is interesting, what's going on now? Um, and the lizard folk said, these are full of mistakes. Correct them. Did, did, did your people even travel here? Craig uh, and Shane starts to respond, lizard folk jumps onto a wall, climbs out the window. Uh, and she's like, Craig and Shane looks around, asks if I hallucinate again, looks at the thing, says, oh, actually, these are full of very good insights. Uh, next day, like, Amber Smelson gets a strange visitor. Sort of thing. And, like, 
this lizard folk has been kind of infesting the society, but in a benign way, where like you find him cleaning the butterfly collection um, or re recataloging all the museum tags, and you're like, I, you're not actually hurting anything. You're kind of, it's really kind of weird that you showed up like you did, but you know what? You seem to be doing good. Would you like a field commission? And he never responded. Um, <laughs> and instead went and made his own faction, the Burden Wheel, and now they're like, look, you, are you a pathfinder? You apparently have a following of 500 people. <laughs> so uh, this should be a really fun uh, character to see in some adventures, but also he's very much of the opinion, as I was saying earlier, that you need to make these value judgments on your own um, as to what is right and what is wrong for a particular microclimate of, of the wilderness that you're traveling through. So there's no one right answer as to how to be Verdant Wheel. There are probably a couple wrong answers. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, we think this is going to do really uh, good stuff as far as scratching that itch of saying, where does my, where, where does Harsk go? Um, where, where does Vinny hang where, out? Um, and that where sort of thing. And for somebody who wants a nature faction, we now have one. And I want to point out something about the two factions that we announced here in particular. So we put out that survey where uh, we had talked as a team and trying to gather together what are the kind of motivations for why people would join a faction. And we had a survey where people could rank one to eight the ones that we presented and then a section where people could put suggestions in. Both of these two factions were drawn from the suggestions that people put in. So we were looking at, hey, you know, I want a faction that's more like Shadow Lodge. I want something where I can be helping my fellow agents. Nature faction, please. Real nature faction, please. And then they, yes. And so we pulled out of that. And so these are both basically fan-generated factions, which I think is pretty awesome. Those surveys have been a big part of our understanding of how we go forward with second edition, as Linda mentioned. One of the things that um, those lessons that we've learned from Starfinder that we're bringing over was in Starfinder we said we want a player-driven campaign. We want this to be your game, and we are the shepherds and the stewards of the material that comes out, but it is a community. Um, We started doing that with some things in Starfinder, and we've been, that's why the, the surveys, and you will see more of this as we keep going on. When we get to that crossroads and we start talking about it and going, there's more than one choice and we don't see something clear, let's take it back out. Let's get some feedback and then we'll come back. Which is what's held up some of these decisions <laughs> as we sit there in the room. And we're, you know, we all come from the background of playing mm-hmm. before we, we started in there. So we're all, we've all got our, our kid camp mm-hmm. and we've got what we want the society to be, but we also want to make it what you want it to be. So it becomes a lot of give and take and discussions and whiteboard drawings and pictures. And so, many whiteboard drawings. so many whiteboard drawings. A giant, a giant photo album filled with drawings of the whiteboard. Yep. So we were hoping to unravel, to reveal some of the art. Unfortunately, things slowed down a little bit on the final pieces. Um, so we will have that before we go live, but we didn't have it yet. That's why the blogs have come out without symbols. But they do all have really neat-looking symbols that I'm excited to show a little bit further down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are, we, are there still going to be things like faction journal cards? No. So, so Starfinder Society uh, operates under earning reputation for different factions, which opens up, once you get a certain amount of reputation, you reach a certain reputation tier. Think of it like your faction level. And that opens up different special boons that you can buy that are unique to that faction. Um, So we're looking at operating under the same uh, way. So so not looking to do faction journal cards this time. Mm -hmm. Um, One of our pushes is to get less printing. And those are, are very print-heavy. Um, the ITS is a very print-heavy 
So a lot of this, we're trying to move portable. We're getting into the digital age. We don't want to kill any more trees. I don't want for wheel members sitting on my, my lawn. Um, so, you know, yeah. I, I don't want to, well, maybe, no, he doesn't need to come clean our butterfly collection. We don't have a butterfly collection. So when she when she mentions the ITS, we are, we are getting rid of the ITS as a document that we would expect people to have. If you want to still kind of maintain your own separate sheet where you write down what you have and then record on your chronicle sheet, I spent this many gold pieces. Here we go. This is what I spent. You can do that. But we really, we really heard the, the feedback from people that um, that a fair number of people preferred just being able to have it all condensed on the chronicle. Have you have, who's yeah. seen the who's seen the blog with the new chronicle the new chronicle sheet layout? Yeah. You want to talk about that one, Mike? Wasn't that your? Oh yeah, just throw that at me. We don't have a read on the temperature of the room. Bus, bus, bus. No buses. Um, but I mean, the chronicle sheet is really just something that we've just been constantly iterating on. We ask people, how can we improve? We sort of like, okay, we've taken you or uh, suggestions. We put them on here. This is what it looks like, and then we get a few of the. No, that's not what was in my head, and that's really bad, but this is really good, and this is really good, so we iterate again, and that is what brought us to the character sheet that you all saw on uh, the blog, or those of you who saw it. Um, I think that was, what, version, like, seven or eight from the... Yeah, because we put one through five up on the first choice, and then... Our our, uh, primary graphic designer for these, Emily Kroll, has been... Very, very patient with us. <laughs> she keeps coming back, and we're like, "Yeah, well, maybe like this, but like make these seven changes." And then, it's like, okay, and then she's like, "Okay, I'll have that for next meeting." Um, one of the big changes that we added is summaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have an adventure summary on the chronicle sheet, so that uh, when you look at your chronicle sheet three years later, and you're like, "Oh, I did Sewer Dragons of Absalom," which was about. I'm thinking sewer dragons, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you'll you'll have a little bit uh, a little bit more of an explanation of what you did and how it turned out. That'll be right there on the chronicle sheet. So you'll have kind of a legend that you'll get to maintain as you uh, as you go forward with uh, with all of these. Um, to bring one thing up for anybody who's looking at it right now or saw it and was curious about it, there is a Hero Lab code on there. Don't worry that that means you are going to have to use Hero Lab for your reporting or playing purposes. That is for a potential expansion of that product, not something we are going to make mandatory for organized play. Just to get that out there in case it was on anybody's mind. It was. Yep. <laughs> so, but, but we'd rather bake any potentials in from the beginning than have to go back and do them. We found out that was one of the things, you know, as we look back and we go, oh, we could do this, but that means five, six, seven seasons of changes. Mm-hmm. No, we don't have that kind of time to do it, so we just, we baked it in early. Um, and as we know more, we will share it. Yep. Is that something you can talk about more now, or is that something that would be needed to be talked about later? We're in discussions on how we can integrate some of the org play program pieces into the Hero Lab system. I.e. boons that are on a chronicle that are finally supposed to have been in that may be one of the discussions. There's a couple of different mediums that we can do on this to make sure that characters are legal um, by you know just putting things in. So if we add a code to our products, then they can start coding behind it. Um, that's the big one. Mm-hmm. So. so yeah. You mentioned uh, training earlier, and uh, before, <laughs> before the lack of it, uh, 
uh, is it going to incorporate the backgrounds and maybe the swords and the spells and the scrolls? And can you confirm or deny that the lizard man is actually Osprey shapeshifted? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can answer all of those, in fact. Uh, I'll start with the Osprey one. Uh, Osprey, unfortunately, only has the ability to turn into animals, and lizard folk are people. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by man, or folk. <laughs> so, uh, in addition to that, uh, so the, tr- the sort of sub-schools of the Pathfinder Society, spells, sword, scrolls, is something that showed up in Seekers of Secrets way back when. And it's something that we had never really followed up on, um, quite what it meant. Like, does somebody go around being like, I'm part of the spells, I'm part of the scrolls, well, when you're a scroll, you're a scroll for life. And then you start the little dance off. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what, what does this actually mean? Uh, is, is there a different level of training among these? Uh, so one of the things that we're uh, looking at exploring is making those a little bit more relevant, making it not just like, what is your character background, which is a distinct piece of second edition Pathfinder, but what is the training that you went through to become uh, the player character that you are now? Um, so we're looking at having that uh, factor in in a, in a modest way, uh, something that will continue to uh, be relevant throughout your character's career. Will there be uh, potentially society-specific backgrounds then? Maybe like a... <laughs> Did, you really Did somebody leave a notebook out? <laughs> I know, I was um, so, uh, there is the possibility that we would have some uh, Pathfinder-specific backgrounds, in part because backgrounds are both kind of fun to write, but they also have a nice small footprint. They're pretty straightforward in how you create them, um, and they allow for a lot of fun flavor. So, backgrounds might be something that like, we could explore in a Chronicle Sheet boon of like your next character that you build. You sure could use yeah. this background. Um, it's like oh, the yeah. background of got pulled from a ditch because your character pulled a character from a ditch. <laughs> like these are terrible examples, but <laughs> this is a sort of brainstorming process that we have in meetings. <laughs> yeah. We usually have some sort of throwaway term as the got pulled from ditch boon, um, and then lo and behold, there you have it. Uh, but also, um, we're looking at having one of the big things when we were first announcing second edition, ramping up even behind the scenes before that announcement of what do between first edition and second edition was um, whether or not we could make first edition experiences relevant in second edition. One of the things that we were really hesitant uh, to do and ultimately aren't really doing at all is the notion of, well, I had 50 characters in first edition who had like a thousand levels between them. That's terrible math. Um, but And now I want to have supreme power in second edition. Recognize all of the hours I put into the first campaign. That's not really fair to people who are just jumping into second edition now. However, if you have a choice between the soldier background and the I sure did survive season five background, <laughs> um, both of those are giving you the same stat bumps, a little bit of feat access, a little bit of skill stuff, whatever. So it, providing some specific backgrounds for uh, first edition connections um, expands a little bit of variety without giving anybody a true power boost. Um, so one of the things that we'll be exploring later on down the line and revealing some of is um, little things for having played through different seasons of first edition that open up some uh, special backgrounds that could be like the demon hunter or the demon survivor at that point uh, for <laughs> season five or the I, su- I sure did see Tianja and all I got was this silly background um, <laughs> background yeah. once again silly placeholders that we use yes <laughs> <laughs>
One of the balance points that we're trying to find on this is that what do we give first edition players coming over and that doesn't outweigh what the brand new experience is because we don't want that table to show that new person to show up and go, oh, you guys all have all the cool stuff and I can't get it. So we're we're exploring that balance point too of good for old, good for new, <laughs> lovely campaign for everyone. So at the last panel, uh, two pa- earlier today at a panel, it was mentioned how uh, certain APs will have backgrounds or uh, abilities to gain things that will allow for shifts in the rarity of items, which feels important for weapons, since those are things characters tend to get one type of weapon and use it for their entire career. I have a bastard sword. I'm going to be using the bastard sword from level 1 to level 20, because I invested bastard swords. Um, By now. But uh, will this be uh, dealt with in Pathfinder Society, where we can't sit down with with our OPC and say, can my dash 1 specialize in sawtooth sabers, despite the fact I can't buy them at level 1? Um, so Is there any thought to this or any? There's yes, there's, there, there's, there's much this. thought to the topic of rarity. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, there there is rarity in second edition. Um, there's common, uncommon, rare, and unique. We're largely going to be dealing with common and uncommon, or that's where the important distinction is in many ways. Um, you can expect that the vast majority of common rated stuff is going to be allowed in organized play. Um, there might be occasional reasons why not, like. This is a common thing, but it sure is evil sort of <laughs> stuff. Uh, where we'll have to make a judgment call. Yeah. Um, but for uncommon things, uh, un- uncommon does numerous things. One of them can be like this changes the way the game plays. Like a mystery or a whodunit is very different once you can cast speak with dead. You know, I think we've seen a lot of that in first edition. Um, and so some spells like that are uncommon. Some magic items like that are uncommon because they change the complexity of the game. Others are uncommon because they are specifically intended to be rarer within our, the understood setting. Um, there, we expect that uncommon <coughs> gear is going to be really cool stuff uh, for chronicle sheets. We also expect that we're not going to have nearly as many chronicle sheets as we have cool uncommon options. So we have been discussing a lot of different possibilities as to how we could open up uh, some number of uncommon options uh, through other means. And quite where that balance is, or quite what that mechanic is, or even if there are multiple mechanics, is still something through which we are having very deep discussions. (laughs) Yes. But I mean, if you saw the uh, if you saw John's blog where he listed out what are all the different types of things that your character can earn, you care you know your character can earn fame, your character can earn gold, your character can earn XP, your character can earn downtime, your character can turn achievement points, your character can turn all sorts of these things. So it's going to be somewhere in that realm of the kinds of things that you earn. I was just hoping to shift you away from like, oh, I want to make a character with this theme, but to do that, I have to get that boon sheet. So I guess I'm not making this character until after I GM that adventure and apply it to this character at level one with a weird reduction in gold, so, just so I can... To, to, to drill down the particular example, um, yeah. I want to use Bastard Swords. Is there a Bastard's R Us in Absalom? Um, well, for many weapons... <laughs> first off, the answer is it's called... First off, the answer is it's called the Grand Watch. But, uh, second, um, is that um, particularly for some core character uncommon things like 
weapon types, mm-hmm. there are some things built into the core system that address that. Okay. Yeah, so the so um, commonality in some cases will be, like, this is uncommon because this is generally something, but this is uncommon, but it's generally something that a cleric could get by taking a cleric feed, or a sorcerer could get by taking a sorcerer feed, or you might be able to get with an ancestry feed. So sometimes uncommon means that you can get it yourself. And you can find it by choosing the right options. Generally, generally, when you're looking at rare, that's the thing that it's like, oh, you know, that's gonna have to be like that special loot that you find. Whereas in common, there's more likely to be a way to a way to go about it. You mentioned a word that that we can talk about a little bit more, which is boons, mm-hmm. because oh. going forward, there will not be paper boons that yeah. you have to get from your convention. We are moving to the achievement point model, the mm-hmm. name TBD. We, we are discussing a couple of the other options that came up on the boards, mm-hmm. um, and we'll have a final here. Uh, again, that feedback thing, you know, yes. we put it up and people went, what about? And we yeah. said no, hard no to a couple of them. You can look at the thread. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not getting into that here. But, um, when you Google something and yeah. the top hit is something that you don't necessarily want to, to have be your acronym, then you know that that's not what you're going to do. <laughs> that's what we're doing. Um, but that allows us to open up a lot of options. Uh, mm-hmm. We are still looking at the balance because we want to incentivize and say thank you to the GM pool. They give up their time to be there and to prep and do things behind the scenes so that everyone can play. But we also want to open things up and we hear the, I can't get to a convention, it's prohibitively expensive for me to get there, can I have fun things too? Yes, sir. Will convention organizers be able to receive achievement points if they don't GM at at a convention that they're organizing? We are investigating some of those options um, on how to reward those organizers. Um, in-game rewards may not be the best piece would it, of it. Would it go by Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 conventions as well, or would it just be blanket across the board? You organize a convention regardless of size, this is what you get? I don't know. That is a discussion we're still kind of having. Some of this uh, had to go on hold because the person that was developing it in the office uh, had to take an extended leave of absence. So we thought we'd have some more answers, and we don't have quite all of them yet. Um, I will be heading out, coming back, and then still digging down on some of those answers, and we hope to put them in blogs. Um, Right now, the blog schedule is a very intense blog schedule. We are running at least two a week from here on out. Uh, mm-hmm. And that doesn't include things that we can put in for path or for Starfinder. Yeah, um, we are extremely Starfinder light and still running out of room. So we've gone back to the the people that schedule that and said, "Hey, can we have more slots? Because we've still got more news." Uh, so if you follow the blogs or if you want to know more information, please check back multiple times in the week because we may be dropping things that aren't just on our Wednesday normal slots. There's that funny thing where when you submit a blog, it requests that you keep it to 500 words or less. <laughs> that's that's not really something that's been happening lately with our blog. We just, so we just have too much to share. But yeah, just to reiterate, the general idea with the achievement points table or whatever we end up renaming that is that everyone is going to be able to have access to the cool shinies. It just means that if you're if you're GMing and you're putting in that time and you're putting in that effort, then you are going to you are going to earn the, your shinies faster and you are going to be able to then buy more shinies for the same amount of time. Yeah. You had a question? Uh, I, as somebody who's really digging into the first campaign to organize play, I want to say thank you for re-evaluating, re-evaluating the replay system on the verge of 2.0. I'm somebody who's going to give Pathfinder 2 some time to mature, it's heartening to hear there are things being done to keep the first edition campaign alive for those still enjoying. 
Yeah, well, um, we are, again, uh, we hope to have a few more solid facts, but those solid facts are, are predicated on what our system can handle, and we don't want to promise things that we can't do. I'm, I'm just do. saying thank you mm-hmm. for even doing um, it. Yeah, but there, there will be a level of replay given out. Um, it is based on what you've already played, so those people that have played more or GM'd more will, will have a little more replay because they're the ones that are harder to schedule. Uh, but those numbers will be coming in a blog soon. Feature, uh, feature conventions, are you guys going to do like the card game, Starfinder, second edition? Will you also have first edition too? Yes. Um, for those organizers, we have adjusted the, the way they request help to say all four of those okay. and take all four of them into account when we allocate resources to them. Mm-hmm. Back to the gentleman's question about the replay thing. Yeah. And I read the blog where you said you're going to cut off the database on a certain date mm-hmm. in June. Oh, yeah. and, and, and that's great. Play by post, games that are still running over a period of months. And I, I think you've talked to Hillary about this, but I don't know that it's gone public or if you can make it public. Um, we're evaluating where do we take that snapshot and how do we add right. that snapshot in right. because if it's not reported the mechanism kind of won't see it. And, right. and no so, matter where we draw that line on taking the yep. snapshot, yeah. there will be somebody, somebody who's right. in the middle yep. of the game, yeah. Yeah, who's in the middle so of things. We've yeah. been trying to look at a date that would be far enough after the wrap-up that most things should be wrapped up, but again, yeah. that date, no matter what we do, um, we can shift it by one and someone, Arr! so yeah. we will make some people disappointed, we will make some people happy, we understand this, uh, but it's got to be done. It, it's sure. just ripping that band-aid off on a certain day. Okay. Uh, on the P1 status, I'm assuming regional support will still be in place for P1 as long as people are playing it? Or regional you know? support will... N- will Support will be there. Um, we are actually not going to have a regional support program going into two, uh, second edition just because the, a, the, the ACP points and the way you can get it kind of already takes care of that now. Um, regional conventions will have a, or the, the events that get the regional support that don't get convention support, they will get some number of ACPs allowed to them as well. So um, like GMing, I did. GM and I'd get some support on a regional level. Mm-hmm. So, okay. The, the, we're looking at final numbers and, and where to draw those lines, but it's something that if you play a game, you get a certain amount of points. If you GM a game, you get a certain amount of points. Maybe if you play at a regional, you get more points if you play. But I, like I said, I want to make sure the text there to support that kind of delineations before we just say yes. Um, no matter what, the conventions will have a little more weight on them, the big ones that we do, like PaizoCon, just because those are the premier conventions that we uh, are at. But everything will have something for them. We are continuing the, the RIP, the Retail Incentive Program. That one will have a component still because that doesn't get served by the achievement points. So we will still make it, make it viable to spend money and get something for your character. So, um, speaking of things that you earn uh, at the end uh, at the end of each session you play, um, we are reevaluating the baseline of XP. So, instead of having a base of one XP per scenario in general, or you know half if you if you go with the whole slow track model, um, we are looking at 
one XP for a quest and four XP for a scenario. And that way you can that way you can have quests that are standalone without having the whole like, hey, let's make this a quest pack and if you complete two of these then you get one XP. But if you complete one of them you don't get an XP and then if you don't come back and finish the rest of these right now, then you kind of finish off your chronicle sheet. We want to have the flexibility to we want to be able to make quests more flexible. And this also means that if you're playing slow with um, if you're playing slow, unless you're playing slow on a quest, you don't have to deal with fractional XP on your chronicle sheets anymore. So so yeah. no more no more half numbers there. You just you can just uh, pick it up and roll with it. I have 25 prestige points there. Just burning my inquisitor. <laughs> so we we did the math. It it will be 12 to level if mm-hmm. that way you know it still keeps the same format. We're just increasing the numbers a little bit. But yeah, baking slow tracking from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at that too in terms of in terms of things like the achievement points, making sure that you're not going to earn like half of an achievement point for playing a quest or stuff like that because nobody likes fractional points. Yeah. Would that make it a, just from your perspective writing them? Would that make it a tad tough sometimes on the quests to tell an interesting story in a, that short of a time, or are they still going to be bundled because it's normally till the finale before it gets to <laughs> Well, here's one of the there are some considerations in terms of bundling the quests into quest packs, uh, and one of them is just. What are viable stories to tell through quest packs that wouldn't be a scenario? And a lot of the quest pack uh, traditional structure is NPC approaches you and says, "By God, it should be good if people did these four things in any order." Then we could all gather around and we could have the finale quest together, which I do recommend playing last. But if you want to play it out of order, that's on you. That's true. So, uh, and, and you know there are. There are plenty of stories that we have told with that model, but it's, it's a little it's a little restrictive. Uh, whereas for a while, uh, our open call was based around writing a standalone quest. Mm-hmm. And that alone demonstrates really nicely that you can tell a cute little story that, that's fun to play in 2,500 words or 2,000 words, as was the case in the open call. Um, and... So uh, we're, we're actually pretty confident that uh, standalone quests can be a delightful little experience. And if you don't have, as Linda was pointing out, the, the commitment to doing the other four in the <laughs> series, then they can be what quests really were envisioned to be at first, which is, oh gosh, my slot ended early. You guys still want to just hang out and play this for an hour? Or, mm-hmm. hey, uh, it's a weeknight and we still mm. want to gather and run some sort of content at this game store, which closes its door at like nine mm-hmm. um, so let's let's run a quest or two great they allow greater flexibility to organizers but as well as to players and gems to just fit them in wherever but still because we're using that higher XP system still gain rewards for them which is one of the pitfalls of the original quests and for the same reason when we're when we're looking at the the tiers of these we're, we're looking generally at at quests with multiple sub tiers, like you know, one to four, so that you have more flexibility with the win and how you play it. Speaking of tiers, mm-hmm. do you want to talk about what we decided on tiers? Well, I think I just I think I just said something right there when yep. I said one to four exactly. So we are going with the uh, we are going with the tier system that is used in Starfinder Society. That is to say, no more gap levels between sub tiers. So one to four, three to six, and so forth. 
and that should make things a lot easier in terms of in terms of mustering, being able to make an adventure that works well, and not having those weird in between places. Okay, how that number goes, or is that still secret? <laughs> well, that's going to be something that will that will evolve organically, just like mm. with just like with Starfinder Society. You know, we have to start at the low end, and we slowly build up. And as more people get higher level, then we can consider, okay, how many people are up in this level? When's going to be at a good time to to advance? But I think I think we've shown with uh, with what we've been doing here. I mean, we certainly have some uh, some higher level adventures coming out that as the mm-hmm. as the demand grows, we can continue to put things out at higher levels. John mentioned the words uh, that I'm going to ask about. Uh-oh. Oh, so once second well, edition more. has launched and your plates are cleared and you've got all kinds of free time. <laughs> Wait, what? 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 Sorry, the what? What? But <laughs> are you going to bring back the open call? Um, so I think that's that's based in part in part on how the quests go over. Okay. Um, if it seems like a great program for us to continue on, then that is certainly an outlet for the open call. Um, mm-hmm. We are hoping that we can use these first couple of quests to go to known uh, authors to get things started off. And hopefully from there we can use the quests as an opportunity to try out authors on smaller mm-hmm. projects and say, oh boy, hey, you did really well on this quest, let's start putting you on something bigger. Okay. Yeah. Uh, quests have, that's really been one of the strong points of quests and why you keep on seeing them show up is because they are so wonderful for trying new authors. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just able to bring in some folks from the open call in our most recent quest mm-hmm. pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it's something we would like to see happen again, and quests might be the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Curtis. Two-part question here. Tying into that, first of all, is how many are we looking at for having P2 releases per month? Are we going to try to hit two? Are we going to push a little further? And then how many of those are going to be repeatable? Okay. So, first off, we're going to be launching with the equivalent of four scenarios at Gen Con this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, 100 is a pre-generated character uh, event, similar to 100 for Starfinder Society. It's a little bit of a prelude to uh, the year one storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have three standard scenarios, um, one of which has uh, a faction tie-in. In fact, hey, we've now actually mentioned that name, mm-hmm. so yeah. uh, oh, yeah. we should go back and correct that product page submission. Uh, <laughs> we, we had a placeholder of, like, faction tag. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's going to be tied to Envoys Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have a quest that will be coming out toward the end of August. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, end of August? Or? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. It's yeah. slated August. Okay. It's, 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 yeah. it's an August slate. So uh, from there, we're going to be doing not three scenarios per uh, month. Instead, we're doing two scenarios plus a quest per month. So we're expanding in that we're introducing the recurring quest slot. Um, there are there are a lot of, for a little bit behind the curtain, uh, having gone through in the past two years and change, starting up two different, completely new mm-hmm. RPG systems... There has been a lot of fatigue as far as like mm-hmm. what what our editors have been through, designers mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So I was able to get the quests in there. Um, the notion of going to three scenarios was one of the things that would cause the very nice uh, managing editor Judy, who's probably on, still on door duty outside. Careful, she's got knitting needles. To, Hi, Judy. <laughs> to show me just how much damage an improvised weapon can do. Uh, yes. Uh, so, so, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. If certain models uh, prove sustainable as far as our production goes, uh, then that's an ongoing conversation we can have. But we are mm-hmm. launching with 
those four uh, larger adventures in a quest, mm-hmm. and then going forward with two scenarios and a quest per month. Something to note, the pre-gen special is a fifth level? Fifth level. So yes. that people can get into the system, give it a little bit of a workout, and then come back and start playing Society and build their characters up. But and yeah. we're looking at replayability on second edition. Oh, right. Uh, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, 101 is a replayable scenario, and the first quest is also replayable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have mapped out, I mean, I wouldn't say completely locked into stone, but we have mapped out uh, the number of replayable scenarios we're likely to see in year one, and it's it's a lot heavier in those first like six months because we want to make sure that we're providing plenty of content for people to be able to play. And then tapers off a little bit more, but we are we're, we're providing more replayable content in second edition yeah. than I feel we have done in first edition, or even to an extent, at least this first year in Starfinder Society. Mm-hmm. Um, so every cup, every, every several months, at least, We've got um, something, yeah. seems as though there's mm-hmm. a replayable something. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, I do want to clarify for Linda's sanity and ability to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. We've done two scenarios in first edition that were bonkers large replayable. Some <laughs> uh, righteous repose and uh, something half like that were both like two and a half times the size of a scenario because they provided a bajillion different options in interconnective pieces and uh, largely consumed an entire month of Linda's life. Now that, I, now that I have more experience with this, I can confidently say that both of those were harder than either uh, either Haugen Cataclysm or Siege of Gallowspire to develop. Yeah. So, so they're to, harder and longer than an interactive special. When it, comes to looking at, when it comes to looking at what a replayable scenario would look like, think something close to, to like uh, 508 The Confirmation uh, in which it has some you know randomized elements or some well, you could put in this thing instead of this uh, sort of uh, scene. Uh, one zero, 101 is particularly cool in so much as you're going to be doing kind of a first steps, the commencement style thing where you're running a couple of little side missions for some folks. You're always going to the same locations, but the reasons that you're going to those locations and how the encounters look there uh, have about 10 or 12 different uh, variations. So there are a lot of different ways to get some replay out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, John, and then you whispered a question that mm-hmm. I want to catch really quick because it related to that. I just want to say whoever, whatever team put together what prestige is worth between the writing, the design, that is a five-star scenario. That is an incredible scenario. Mm-hmm. And everyone deserves a huge pat on the back for that one. I'm glad you enjoyed that one. Um, that was uh, Matt Duvall, I believe, if I remember I think correctly. so. Sounds um, right. And... Um, yeah, th- I have not done as much development in season 10, but the few that I have done have largely been, let's go to another plane and apparently argue politics to outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm quite swiftly learning is a passion of mine. So John had his hand up in the back. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about the season one plot? Sure. Uh, <laughs> what was it we were saying before about people not reading our notes on the <laughs> Really, really, uh, really. <laughs> so one of, the, one of the important things to keep in mind uh, for our for our year one is that uh, we are trying to make sure that second edition is a, is as accessible to uh, people just stepping into the campaign as possible, and uh, not just coming in from first edition. Because some of our first edition season storylines were very meta; they were very involved. It's like, what does the Pathfinder Society do? 
Well, we explore ruins and learn about archaeology. Then why are we trying to overthrow a nation state? <laughs> um, the core home agenda, John. The core home agenda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so instead, we're looking at year one being very much a uh, return to the society's core values on several different levels. First off, um, there is a meta plot that you're going to find. Um, and, and that we're, we're including in from the beginning of 100, uh, which really kicks it off. Um, but it's not like a be-all, end-all meta plot that's like, you know, oh, we have 30 scenarios or something, 15 of them are all about this one thing. Um, it just winds through it and, and should be uh, a whole lot of fun. But instead we're looking at doing a lot of, okay, <coughs> you want us to explore, report, and cooperate? This is about seeing the world, particularly since we have sort of an update or catch-up for some of our world uh, content as a whole bunch of like the Adventure Path uh, results are taken in and canonized and things like that. Let's get out there and explore the world. Let us learn about, in the case of the um, that little meta-narrative that I was talking about uh, for the season, let's learn about the society's um, earliest history and some of the earliest well-known pathfinders like Dervin Guest, Selmius Foster, uh, Adolphus, and the like, uh, and Gregara Voth, as well as a few others that you haven't heard of as much, and learn about... Um, their most infamous missions and also one that has been forgotten to records until you find out about it. Uh, so, it's going to be a real cool delve into the history of this Pathfinder Society uh, and its forgotten secrets and we're going to be getting you out there to explore, report, and cooperate. Uh, and also, so we can start up a whole bunch of new little storylines and introduce all, all new wonderful NPCs that can start new storylines uh, for many years yet to come. So the idea in general is that you know, we're, we're not just shunting off to the side and getting rid of all the NPCs that are already there. We're bringing a lot of them back to the forefront in the forms of factions. But we want to make sure that you're, it's not sort of that, oh, well, you didn't play Season 2, then you don't understand the, the through arc that went from Season 2 to Season 5 and that one scenario, that one scenario in Season 7 or whatever. We want to make sure that people can get in there and all participate and understand what's going on. We won't need to worry about new players coming in, sitting down and saying... So who's Master Torch? And then watching the table explode around them. Grand Master Torch to you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Corey, um, I particularly like Tom of Records from Cosmos. Like, mm-hmm. Are we expected to see more of those? Because those, after the first time I ran it, I can prep it in five minutes. And that's something I can throw at my players if I have a walk-in table. So... Are we gonna? I know they're hard, but are we gonna see more? So when I when I said when I said harder than an interactive special, I mean more resource intensive than an interactive special. So if we take the amount of resources it takes to produce those, it's about the same as three scenarios, and that's gonna cause a lot of backup okay, and no, everything just, else. Yeah. So so I would say that at this point at this point that seems unlikely unless we unless we somehow come up with more resources it, it, just because it, it, of the I think as we get cost. further out from the launch and we all can breathe, mm-hmm. all being the entire staff that we might see some more yeah yes but that is that is part of the calculation is in general like could we afford to basically do another month's worth of scenarios right now is what is the decision we have to make to allow one of those and that and that's a larger project management consideration so Mm -hmm. is it completely off the table no but for that Mm -hmm. first half year or year probably Probably. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, person. That's our five-minute warning. Okay. Uh, you've mentioned uh, taking elements that have been popular and were useful and were fun in Starfinder Society. My question is really, are there going to be collectible opportunities for infinite ones? 
<laughs> well, there is going to be an infamy. Every game is an opportunity <laughs> for an infamy. <laughs> you just have to look at it the right way. <laughs> this is why I don't run games for Mike. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we are using infamy, um, and I have no doubt that certain scenarios will have special callouts for infamy, much as appears in Starfinder Society right now. Um, as well mm-hmm. as including the discretionary possibility to earn infamy when your players surprise you with the levels of their hyena evil. <laughs> I know uh, in the first quest, which which I wrote, there is an infamy call out for it. It's just like it's like the the venture the venture captain's like, okay, whatever you do, be sure not to do this. And then if the first thing you do is like, I'm gonna do this, and it's like, why? Please don't stab the ambassador. Doppelganger, stab. You know that, that's surprising. That's surprisingly close oh, to. <laughs> Now we know who's reading the notes. <laughs> <laughs> we played Delve uh, yesterday and today both. This morning, we had the wonderful alchemist lob a fireball and hit their friendly neighborhood paladin. So does the, uh, you can't throw a firebomb at me because I don't consent going to play out in, in uh, 2.0 in, in society. Oh, gee, look at that. We're out of time, guys. <laughs> you can catch Mike any time during the show. So, uh, but, uh... So I suspect that there's still going to be a very strong prohibition against player versus player violence, or character versus character violence as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. There's a firm uh, prohibition on player versus player. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, we're going to have to do a little bit closer look, at, especially at the alchemist, mm-hmm. um, because I know it's still garbled in my mind as to what is playtest and what is... I recall that there were changes that were made since the playtest to help address this issue, but right. because I don't remember the exact rules off the top of my mm-hmm. head, I can't From really say what we're going to... Weekend, it's one damage, so yeah. actually, having quite a bit in our playtest was Alchemist hit five of us. Like, okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's called being a support character. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, if I was out there and they were lobbing things at me and it flashes at me, I'm going to be a little bit upset. <laughs> so, you know, and it's just sort of like off. if it's, it's like, can I hit you? And then it's like, oh, this is going to catch you in the splash. And it's like, yes, please do 10 damage to them and one damage yeah, to me. Yeah. They're going to do a lot more than one damage to me. Yeah. So. We'll have, we'll have to look at the Alchemist a little bit more closely, but again, expect to see something similar to what First Edition and Starfinder Society did. Mm-hmm. I have a... Are you, I know that we do a society guide. Mm-hmm. When is the second edition version going to be released? Because I need to Everyone needs to read it. I need to read No, I don't catch up on the blogs. So right. I don't mm-hmm. And so I'm missing big chunks of these very important things. One of our big meetings two weeks ago now was to sit down with all the feedback, put everything on note cards, lay it out on the very long conference table, Mm -hmm. take what you guys thought would make a good guide and then what we thought would make a good guide, rearrange it a little bit, put it in an order that makes sense from, you know, if, if you've never done anything to, okay, now I'm a player, now I'm a GM, now I'm an organizer, and, and make that flow there. Uh, it includes an eight-page quick start that you can hand the players eight-ish pages because we haven't mm-hmm. finished typing text yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't finished typing, typing text yet because they won't let me write any of it. Um, you do enough already, Tanya. I have no time. Um, so it'll have the quick start, get in, get fat, get in, you know, quick and dirty. And then it will have the expanded pieces to it and call out. <laughs> <laughs> have I broken Michael? We're all good. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. One of the things that we are exploring is a way to get it online 
so that it would be more wiki format uh, with a downloadable PDF that you could print, but mm -hmm. you wouldn't have to. Um, we, we are working with a team of sysengineers that are not Paizo to make this happen under the OPF umbrella, which means that we probably will hit that target. Mm -hmm. uh, my goal would be mid-July, um, but it will be released before we start because we have to have the guide to function underneath yeah. it. So. Mm -hmm. And with that, I do think we really are out of time. <laughs> not not to, to yeah. bob off questions, but it is six. Thank you very much for coming. Mm -hmm.